welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I am so excited to be reading this essay article I wrote back in, let's see what year that is, and then I'll introduce myself, in 2015. So excited about it. Because after I read it, I'm going to take a few moments to tell you a little about all the f- fears it precipitated and um, kind of share with you a bit more about it before we go to questions and answers. Um, Probably everything's accurate in this article unless it gives my sobriety date, which now is that I've been sexually sober uh, 36 years and eight months, one day at a time. Um, The article is called The Fungus of the Soul. from 2015 when it happened. There I was in an Israeli prison walking through a security checkpoint to visit an incarcerated SA member. What an ordeal. First, I had to empty my pockets. Then I had to take off my shoes. After that, I had to take off my socks and walk barefooted on a tile floor where other barefooted people from all backgrounds had been walking. All my mind could think was, if I take my socks off, I will surely get athlete's foot from walking barefooted on this tile floor. It is always about me and my fears. Here I was almost 31 years sober in SA, and I was still obsessing about me and my fears. At that moment, a passage in our essay literature spoke clearly to me. Lust hates the light and flees from it. It loves the dark, secret recesses of my being. And once I let it lodge there, it's like a fungus and starts flourishing. The athlete's foot of the soul. That's the essay book, page 160. At that moment, I knew that if I walked barefooted, I could get fungus between my toes. But if I did not walk barefoot, 
the fungus of my soul could return. The answer was easy. I needed to take my socks off, get through security, and help another suffering sexaholic. This is my secret of staying sober. I accept that I am a selfish, self-centered, self-delusional sex drunk, driven by a hundred forms of fear, just as a big book states in terms of alcoholism. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Big Book 62. After I accept the truth about myself, I can then ask God to help me transcend my illness of self-centered fear, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. AA page 63. What a miraculous time these past eight months have been. My wife and I spent our travel time doing essay work in Poland, Australia, New Zealand, Denmark, and Israel. My wife worked with the Essanons and I worked with the essays. Together we led meetings for couples. I've been able to help people of diverse religions and various political beliefs. How can a selfish, fearful person like me do this? Only by my staying sexually sober, both inside and out. Only by not acting out or lusting one day at a time could this be possible. I recently heard a story that a man in AA who had 40 years of sobriety was asked why he kept coming back to meetings. His response was to see how awake I can get. The awakenings we get in recovery never end. The awakenings I receive are awe-inspiring. My recent awakening is that this was why I was created, to pass the message throughout the world to people of many diverse faiths and political beliefs. The message is this, if this program could work for a low bottom drunk like me, it can work for anyone. No matter what your background or religion, it can work. The 12-step program works. It can restore us to sanity. It can bring us into a personal relationship with a loving God of our understanding. It can show us that God loves us. It can also show that we can only keep it if we give it away. This is why essay service work is so important to me. I hope that I don't pick up athlete's foot from my barefoot walk in the prison. But if I do, that would not be as bad as the fungus of the soul that plagued me for so many years when I was active in my addiction. 
We alcohol, we sexaholics are now God's agents to prevent and exterminate the fungus of the soul. What a great job to have. It pays beyond any recognition you could have. Just like the big book talks about. That the more we mine the gold, the AA book talks about it, and the family afterwards. Or it might be to the wives. You know me, I make this up, but it's one of those two. Um, that the more mining of the gold we get, the more we give away, the more we get to keep. Wow. Someone recently said, um, it's not... It's not that if we give it away, we keep it. It goes, if you give it away, you get it. Wow. By the way, just heard that a few days ago. It never stops what I'm getting from this program. Um, I want to share that this particular incident, I had a lot of times I would write these articles on the plane flying back from these different countries we'd be in. And I was sick that day with a stomach virus or bad food and this prison they said, oh, it's not too far. My God, what a trip it took, you know, to get to this prison. And man, was it a rough prison. I can't tell you, man. And once I was in there, my stomach acted out. Uh, I couldn't get a bathroom easily. And I just thought I was going to die. <laughs> and somehow, I won't go into more information than you're asking, but it worked out. <laughs> and we met with this man who was there for years for uh, a abusing situation. Uh, I did not want to go. I just, I'm phobic about diseases, just phobic. I didn't want to take my socks off. And it was a real inner battle. I'm just reading this to you kind of casually. Let me tell you, it was, I was ready to say, get me the hell out of here. I refuse to take my socks off. 
The wind-up is I never got athlete's foot from there. I was okay. The fact that I did every low-life thing you could do to probably end up with HIV, which I didn't end up with, thank goodness, that doesn't come to your mind at those moments. I am one of the most hygienic people I know. And in my disease, I will do anything that's unhygienic. That's how drunk I get. And that's the emphasis I keep trying to share with people that our intoxication is not as easy to see as with alcoholism, which I also have. Because we're drunk by the time we get to where we're going to act out. And most people in the program that I've been exposed to have a block in this conceptualization that the endorphins, that we are drunk by the time we're even going to our destination, whether that destination is prostitutes, whether it's walking from one room to another to open up the computer, for internet pornography, we're already drunk. And so many people think it's the acting out that's causing the intoxication. No, the acting out is a result of the intoxication. So, about a half a year ago, someone called me. He was a prominent um, clergy in his uh, community, and he got caught in a sting. And he said, I suspected it was a sting on the internet. I suspected it. I don't. I don't understand why I did it. I said, it's so easy to understand. <laughs> you were so intoxicated. Over a period of time, thinking about it and setting it up, that the actual doing it, you were already totally <laughs> intoxicated. Let me tell you what I'm saying to you today. I might as well be spitting in the wind. There's very few people over my 36 years in recovery will hear this message. There's some kind of block. And what is that block? It's a first step that we pretty up with the word unmanageable, but it's the word insanity. 
if we're restored to sanity in the second step, we must be insane in the first step. So how did my insanity show up? It showed up, I thought I was invisible and invincible. That I would not get venereal diseases. That no one could see me coming out of pornography places or sexual issues. That's what my insanity does. Not because I'm bad but because I was born with this illness. Now, I don't know how many weeks we've been doing this now, but that old expression, all roads lead to Rome. Everything I ever tell you or read to you, every article, even though they're entirely different, always leads to the same place. With sick people getting well, not bad people getting good. And if I don't take my medication today, within a few weeks, who knows what's going to happen? I pretty well know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay, I'm going to turn it open. I want to do a little kind of promotion here rather than attraction. Uh, I am so selfish and self-centered still that I don't think as much as I'd like to, I'm not beating myself up, just an awakening, that there have been two, I have a basic Zoom account that I pay money for every month that I use for my sponsees and other things. But to have this meeting, it required, and I never even thought about it, there are two guys on these, this meeting week after week who, is, who have put in from their own pocket hundreds of dollars to upgrade my Zoom so we could have uh, more people and longer time. And I put on chat, I'd like us to pay them back. So far, it's $200 that they've put in. Uh, I don't feel it's a good tradition for us to have only two people supporting this. I would imagine there'll be one more payment because uh, this will end towards the end of December. So anyone who wants to send a buck or two or whatever, I put it on the chat. If by some chance we get more money than what they've put in, I'll be sending it to central office. That's what I tell you, but you know, I'm a liar, cheated thief who knows what will happen. So don't send too much. I maybe could run away out of the country with all that money. <laughs> it's crossed my mind. Oh, my God. oh, God, it's good to laugh. Hi, Harvey. Everyone, Dennis from uh, Long Island, New York. Um, 
when I'm doing service, whether it be chairing meetings, sponsoring, um, I have to make sure that my motivation is pure to give back and not that it's out of ego. My question to you is, in your many years of service and giving back, did you ever find that your ego was getting in the way and maybe you should cut back a little bit? Uh, my ego always gets in the way, Dennis. That's why each morning I, and each night I do the third step prayer on my knees. My ego is incurable. The issue of my ego is I don't know when my ego is doing it. <laughs> it's, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And that's where the spiritual awakenings come in, where you get glimpses of your ego, where you get glimpses. Um, I, I really, how can I term this? Um, I play dumb. I just don't try thinking about any of this. I do my service work. Um, someone calls me if there's a, I try to answer phone calls unless it gets so overwhelming that, you know, I have to text, hey, I just can't handle all this. Um, if someone asks me to speak, I really try to do it. And I don't give it much thought. Okay. Um, so let me tell you about my ego. I have spoken over 36 years, so many times in so many places that I, I there's no way to, I used to keep track of it. Yet let one, let a buddy of mine who has over 30 years recovery get asked to speak in a place I haven't been asked to speak. I feel jealous and envious. <laughs> and I'm able to say, there's that crap again. <laughs> there's that ego. And laugh. And be able to say, thank you, God, for reminding me I have an incurable disease. Incurable. If you're wearing a nicer shirt than me, I'll get jealous and envious. <laughs> but it has, thank goodness, to the best of my knowledge, no power over me today. Just like these crazy sex thoughts will come out of nowhere in my head. Out of nowhere. I don't call them lust because I don't play them and I don't repeat them. But some just like an awake dream. When we're dreaming at night, we don't really go into all these thoughts that are coming through. Yes, they never end, even when we're asleep. But in the daytime, we tend to, to grab them. To grab them. Well, today through recovery, I have the freedom of choice today 
not to grab them, just to see them. Just to see them. Oh, there's that envy again. Oh, there's that jealousy again. Uh, I can't use words to tell you how freeing it is when you really get into your 11th step to learn about mindfulness, to observe the thought rather than participating in the thought. What doesn't have power over you? Dennis, did I beat around the bush or did I answer your... No, you nailed it, Harvey. Thanks. Okay, thank you. We thank you. Okay, go ahead, Yonke. Hi, thanks for the opportunity to ask a question. Hi, Yankee in the, in the great Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh, there goes my ego. Um, question for you, Harvey. When you talk about the fungus of the soul, I mean, I, I understand it's an analogy, but, um, I mean, fungus is not everlasting and I guess can be treated and, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be treated on a daily basis. So when, but I'm guessing you didn't use that analogy lightly. And can you touch on it a little more as far as like, you know, maybe I don't understand it as well as um, someone else may with more experience. But when, when I have to come back every day and I have to come to a meeting every day and I have to make phone calls all day and I have to do constant maintenance, um, it's not just don't step on dirty floors uh, as far as like, you know, um, uh, as far as uh, maintaining, uh, you know, clean, cleanliness for my feet. It's, uh, it's, it's a daily maintenance. Um, so is that what I need to do in order to stop the fungus from growing as opposed to somebody else that doesn't need to do that? You know, how would, how would you explain as, you know, like I said, um, you probably didn't use that analogy lightly. Well, I use the analogy, by the way, because that's Roy's analogy from the essay book. And I try not to give you my opinions because that's based on a sick guy. So I try to quote from the essay book and the AA book. Um, that's how much I know. Yeah. Well, no, you know enough to ask questions. That's beautiful. So these are um, helpful symbolism for me. This Roy uses it in the book. Uh, I like the disease model. And uh, not all funguses get better with medication. You know, there are some... I, we have a friend who got one in her eye, and she ended up having to have her eye removed. You know, some funguses are just bad news. You know, parasites aren't the greatest thing to get. You know, there's a whole universe of other universes in our system. In our own body, we are universes. If you've ever thought about 
all that's going on in your body, the electrons and the bacteria and the viruses, and man, we, each of us are universes unto ourselves, and funguses and other diseases are their own universes. And, but a fungus usually implies it's eating away. Now, thanks for the question, because there are some funguses that save lives. That's what penicillin is. It's a mold, it's a type of fungus or that kind of issue. And that fungus saves lives. So my fungus, my incurable fungus that eats away at your innards, but somehow, and in Roy's second book called Essay Re uh, Recovery Continues, it's called Recovery Continues, he talks about the joy response, how we transcend. So here we have this rough disease that eats away at us, but then again, we transcend it and are able to help save other people's lives. Wow, all paradoxes, all paradoxes. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So we and I did want to say one other little thing, if I may, that uh, just an analogy to uh, to the alcoholic. Um, I shared this with Daniel before, is that God can knock the socks off your feet, but statistically he doesn't. And he can't do what? God can knock your socks off your feet, but statistically he doesn't. Exactly. <laughs> And I was just reviewing that with someone today that the th when I first came into AA, before I got into SA over 37 years ago, I was simply told what to do. They said, every morning, hit your knees and say, today, God, I will not take a drink of alcohol. And then you say, and today, God, help me not take a drink of alcohol. It's a two-way contract. You can't merely say, God, take away. Don't let me drink. It's your half also. Your half also. Now, statistically, it could happen. But we're proof that that statistic doesn't happen that often to the group that's here, where God does it all for us. As if God, and by the way, sometimes I don't even believe in God, but I experience God, hopefully. But all this stuff's propaganda anyway, that we talk about God, you know. My sponsor used to say, can you imagine how God's laughing at all the problems people have giving him a name. <laughs> we, with our little brains, are trying to 
figure out this entity beyond time and space. Okay? Just amazing. But we want to take this two-way issue because if God did it all for us, it would take away our self-pride, a positive pride. And let me give you a famous story that this young kid was playing softball and he hit the ball so well and people were cheering and cheering and he kept doing it and people were cheering how wonderful he is. And at the end of the game, they lifted him up on their shoulders, they walked all around. He was so thrilled and happy until he found out that his father had paid for the pitcher to throw him only good balls and paid the crowd to cheer. And he had this terrible feeling. If our life was only God doing it for us, man, we could become vegetables. This we would never have to leave our house. So everything is interlocked here. But one thing we know that seems to be a universal truth. When you help others, you end up feeling better. We're not talking codependency now. We're not talking about being powerless, you know, you're in the middle of an important operation and your wife as a surgeon and your wife calls and says the baby's crying and you stop operation and you run home to your wife to help with the baby. That's codependency. But we're talking about the magnificence of getting out of self. Okay? And that's the fundamental part of our program. There are some terrible myths in this program. Um, I won't go into many of them myths. I've spoken about them, uh, especially in Texas during a keynote, during a speech a talk I gave, but there are myths. One myth is that you better wait till you have a lot of sobriety go help someone. Bull crap. All you need is a day's sobriety. That's a miracle. Go find another drunk. Or Bill W. had six weeks sobriety and he was going all over. Dr. Bob they were going out, they hardly had any sobriety themselves. Now, how can I say this sacrilegious type of talking? 
Well, in 1984, this one guy started in Nashville. There was another guy who disappeared. I met him once. I came in. There were two of us. I had a day, a week, sobriety. I was sponsoring new people. You want to stay sober, you go help another drunk. Don't be careful of myths. One of my AA sponsors who had 57 years of sobriety said there is one and only true sponsor. That's the big book. Check it out. Read the history books. But many of you are used to a religious model where the clergy is your intermediary to God and that every single thing they say is truth. And then you never end up looking it up yourself. Very important to read the book. Not to question your sponsor, but to read the book. Now, if you tell your sponsor, hey, I just masturbated today. I'm going to go out to help some beautiful woman sober up. You're a guy. Hopefully your sponsor will say, hey, dum-dum, get the hell in your house and just lock yourself up. My sponsor called me dumb and dummy for years. <laughs> Naturally in a loving way. He called me knucklehead. That was his favorite word for me. You knucklehead. <laughs> Next question. Yeah, just a reminder for those that have the camera off but are sitting in a in a in a same you know simple place to put it on so Harvey can see lots of faces speaking to a crowd. Um, the next question came in on the talking about being of service in your essay, and um, the, the the person asked um, about um, I'm finally getting long term sobriety recovery working with two, three sponsors per week. The last two weeks, I didn't have any sponsors to work with. The obsession returned. What should I do? Uh, if the person's not shy, I want them to answer the question. Is Mr. Mystery willing to go off, turn his mic off and speak? Okay, I won't put anyone on the spot more than I've already done today <laughs> this morning, uh, today. Um, 
another great myth, big time myth, that sponsors your only way to do service work. No. When I had a few weeks of sobriety, I had to go to the different organizations that treated addiction. And tell them about SA. I had to hand out brochures, doctor's offices. Nashville spent two years and we collected our own money. Uh, two years in the beginning of sending brochures out. Every meeting, we'd fill up envelopes and do things. We sent those little essay brochures to every clergyman, every physician, you name it, social workers, thousands. Now, how do you know this? By reading our books. Like AA Comes of Age, Dr. Bob and the Old Timers. Man, if you're expecting to get this program from the essay book, you are in danger. The essay book wasn't even written when I came into the program. And how the hell did Roy get sober, the founder? There was no essay book. Man, I hate doing this myth breaking with you all, but what does Roy say in the essay book? That the best basic texts are the AA material. If you don't know the first 164 pages of the AA book, you're going to have problems. Hopefully you won't, and I'm, I'm being dramatic here. If you haven't read the history and know the traditions and how the traditions came about, these were a bunch of crazy drunks, just like me. They were so crazy and ego-driven that they made, it was called the big book, AA book, because they made it big with thick pages so they could sell it for more money. They owned stocks in the company. They were just like me, a liar, a cheat, and a thief. And somehow, God used these people to save millions and millions of lives. just like he did with us. And Daniel just sent, you can also read language of the heart. You know, a lot of you all say, 
what can I do if I'm not looking at the internet, which will already lead you right back to the pornography? You can read these darn books. But if you keep if you keep doing it your way and you're struggling, which you know I don't use that word struggle, which means you're not surrendering. <laughs> then keep doing it your way. And watch the magic, especially from a sponsor. How did you get sober? What did you do your first week or two? Don't listen to all this propaganda. We have nothing to give each other except our experience, strength, and hope. Everything else is propaganda, and you might as well go back to your religions to get all you want anyway. Why I, a person who loves my religion and very identified with it, is always putting these remarks in about religion. Because, man, if you have diabetes, you don't want to just pray for God to remove your diabetes. You're going to be one hell of a dead person if you don't choose insulin every day if it's severe diabetes. This is a disease, not a badness. We do bad things because of the disease, not because our essence is bad. How can our essence be bad if we're created in its image? And if you still want to keep the sin model, I wish you well. It sure only made me sicker. The minute I switched to the disease model, I started getting one day at a time. So, next question. Go ahead, Saul. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Harvey. The, the last question of the 20 questions um, is, you know, have you ever been arrested for a sex-related offense? Very few hands go up. I always felt that if it said, uh, could, you have been a could you have been arrested for a sex-related offense? I think every hand, uh, at least in my group, would go up. Um, visiting prisoners is so important. Um, I do it myself. Um, I have an opportunity to do it through my work as well. And my question is, Harvey, how do you comfort a prisoner? How do you comfort a prisoner who is a sex addict? How do you comfort a prisoner and, and carry that message forward in that one hour meeting, hopefully longer, but usually a one hour meeting? You know, it, I could carry a message forward to a fellow sex addict who's going to see me, you know, once a week. That, 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 that I could do. I could call them. I could talk to them. You can't do that with a prisoner. Tell me the formula you use for that one hour meeting, please. I'm hesitating because I'm having a senior moment. I'm 81. I'm entitled to a senior moment. 
<laughs> but the senior moment is the name of that most transcendent guy from South Africa who sat Nelson Mandela Nelson Mandela thank you who sat in the prison for a long time and ended up helping the war okay um Wherever I go, there I am. My job isn't to comfort the sexaholic. Whether he's in jail or whether his wife's divorcing him. Matter of fact, when guys cry to me that their wife's you know, divorcing him, leaving him, I quote a guy in AA, who would, Herb, who would say, there's only thing, one thing worse than a wife who's divorcing you. That's if she stays. <laughs> if you don't get it, what can I tell you? But I'm there to give my experience strength and hope. My experience strength and hope. A low life like me. And I go into details. So they see if it could help me, it could help any. Sponsorship or service work is a two-edged sword. Because you could end up using it to play God. To try to rescue people. If you just say the right thing, if you just do the right thing, you'll save them. No, I go to do service work to save me. It's a selfish program that paradoxically makes us selfless. And that question way back about ego and service work, it's still part of a form of ego. I want to stay well. I did a very difficult thing this morning, very hard. We're living in Florida, and my son bought his airline to visit a plane ticket for two weeks from now to spend a weekend with us. And I called him. I said, it's best you don't come. We've been locked down for seven months. We haven't seen this son for almost a year now because of COVID. And it we're headed two-way street. One was selfish. I didn't want my wife and me to get COVID if we could help it. The other was what my sister taught me last week when she canceled her trip here. She said, Harvey, if I brought you and Nancy COVID, 
and you end up dying, I could never live with myself. I don't want my son having to go through in case he has it from the plane, bringing it to us and us possibly dying. So yet my ego also had a transcendence to go figure it out. The minute you figure out this program, teach me. This is a spiritual program. There are no words to describe the fragrance of a rose. There are no words. We try to put things in words. That's why we have to give God names. We have to put it in a word. <laughs> we have to put it in a box, something that cannot fit in a box. <laughs> but that's what we are as human beings. But when you're an addict and a human being, man, do we have problems with all this big time thinking. Don't think, don't drink and go to meetings. It's that simple. Next question. Go ahead, Israel. Yeah. Israel Sexolic. Avi, thank you for all of this. Thank you for all this laughing and smiles that you give it, you know, and thank you for all. Uh, thank God for Avi. Uh, and um, I just want to ask a question about uh, how to find the balance between a service work and sponsorship and family. Uh, <laughs> I, I have personally some service positions and I make it enthusiastic very, but I feel that I, let's say, less enthusiastic in my home with my wife and all this. And um, we say the, the, the service brings recovery, but I mean the inner recovery. How, how in your experience you found the, you found the, balance hopefully i understood well this great man this morning said to me on the phone that the traditions work for the family service work includes family not codependency service work concept of Group conscience, manifesting a lovely, a loving God, unity, anonymity, seeing a child as a human being too, not just as a slave to parents' wishes, whatever. And so, It's a difficult one. I could not do it well. My first three years, my family 
had to go on the back burner at four teenage sons at the time, my wife, but I needed three meetings a day. I was so sick. And yeah, there are repercussions ultimately. But now, and for the past many years, I've been there for my wife and my kids. They're all grown now, but for my grandkids. But, you know, I needed a lot of help. How do I do it now? Because you, you can't imagine how many phone calls I get a day. Or text. Plus, I sponsor about 22 people, 21 to 22 people. Uh, how do I do it over the past few years? I don't take calls after six o'clock at night. It's that simple. I'm there for everyone from the second I wake up till 6 p.m. Took me a lot of years to get that place. But this is not a organization with rules. This is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. That's my experience. Turned out three of my four sons, they all have over 30 years of recovery now. But they all needed treatment. Three of the four, one form or the other, to genetic disease. My grandfather had it. My father had it. I have it. My sons, three of the four have it. My granddaughter has it. I only know directly five generations of us, but we all have it. That's life. Do I blame my parents that I have high blood pressure that I got from them? No, never crosses my mind. They got alcoholism from me. It's that simple. Genetic linkage. My brother died of sexaholism. Run strongly on my mother's side, sexaholism, unbelievable, and alcoholism on my father's side. And when my granddaughter got into all kinds of problems and we visited her at a treatment center, we just sat and all laughed. We, my wife and I said, honey, there was no way you were going to escape this disease, huh? <laughs> no way <laughs> with your family. My, my son met his wife at AA. There was no way she was going to escape. But what a chance. What a disease to have. Look at the medication for it. <laughs> it's inconceivable a spiritual life that we, we couldn't even conceive of. 
that never stops. I'm, I told the sponsee yesterday, no, two days ago, I don't know what's happening to me. But I am hearing from people with a day sobriety, a month sobriety. I'm hearing on these meetings, you know, the ones I go to from Nashville and other, I'm hearing so much more than I've been able to hear. It's like some filter is being removed. I'm getting awakening so one after another about my inner self. It never stops. Yeah. You could stay home, go to the bathroom, have sex with self, wherever you have it. You could watch pornography. You could go to prostitutes. God's going to love you no matter you do it or not. God's never going to. I mean, you think God's going to kick you in the butt because you're masturbating? He's been watching people masturbate for thousands of years. I mean, it's such bull crap. But you're not going to love you because you have an addiction that makes it where you cannot masturbate or lust like other people. We cannot control and enjoy lust like others. We are men and women who have lost our legs and can never grow new ones. We are allergic to lust. It's that simple. We're not allergic to sex. We're allergic to lust. Now, until you get sober from lust, naturally the sex is all messed up. But you can't tell me everyone who's married in recovery and having sex with their wives isn't sober. So it can't be sex. Uh, these are only my opinions. Don't forget, I don't talk for essay. As a whole, these are only my opinions based on my 36 years and eight months in recovery. And you could talk to other people with long-term sobriety. They might have entirely different opinions and be as right as I am or wrong as I am. It's a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. That's all we are. Okay, so we have a question from Guy. Guy, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Um, hi, Harvey. Thank you for this for this talk. Um, you spoke about this a couple of weeks ago about how um, how open you should be about you being part of essay or of any any program. But uh, I want to touch more on the spiritual part. And how how vocal you should be about um, the spiritual part of the program. I mean, like um, you know, we all uh, used to live double lives, or at least most of us. So, aren't we continuing doing the same thing by being part of a closed program and not like trying to reach out to people who uh, 
who are maybe in need of help, you you may never know. I mean, but uh, still, like how uh, if there's even something about the program, about something you read, something you hear, which which you think is is more than just essay and more than just you know us us addicts. Uh, uh, is it okay to share those things, you know, outside of SA, or should it all stay stay private? I think you know, if 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 so, if some some part of SA or some 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 people uh, in SA, you know, would um, wouldn't be private. Maybe you know that the reach would be larger, and you know, more people in need would find that help. You know, would, would find out there is such a program earlier than later, perhaps, you know, and they could get the help they need. Thank you. Guy, you might request, if you didn't hear it, uh, a few weeks ago, I read and spoke on my article, Letting Go of My Secret Life. Mm -hmm. And it was exactly on this topic. So I say it to everyone when it's appropriate. I don't okay. say it to people who are sexaholics. If I don't say it to other people when appropriate, how will they even know the fellowship exists? Yeah. So I share when appropriate that I'm in the program, or if there's someone shares something, I share their programs for this. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my style. Other people have different styles, but my in-laws know it. My daughter-in-laws know it. <laughs> now, the other piece is someone years ago, without my permission, put my, a talk of mine on YouTube with my name. Mm. I'm a pretty straight-talking guy, let me tell you. I kept it low-key today, but that's not my usual approach. It was part, part of God's plan, whatever the hell that means. So I have, uh, I'm, I'm a, a professional, I, I'm in the medical field field. And um, I lived in a, a relatively small city. And I had to break my anonymity. All over. I went to all kinds of societies and places to tell them. Is that, I wonder what that phone is. It's not me, Avi. It's not me. <laughs> Who is you, Israel? Good question. I sent the talk to Guy Harvey. Thank you. Yank Yankee. Yeah, we have a question from Yankee or Shia. One of the two. They're they're both in the class yeah. again. Yeah. Hi. Good afternoon. My name is Shia. First of all, I appreciate it, Harvey, for your, for your talk. It really helps us. We're just coming from a meeting, and it's an addition to, to the meetings. 
I have a question. I was sitting with my therapist uh, Monday and I shared with him and I'm going to ask again the question because I, I'm not so clear on about it, what to do. When I'm, when I'm listening to other people's pain, when they share the step one and they call me and I try to be the, the service to pick up my phone every time and I try to share my step one with them. And then it's waking me up, my, my childhood trauma, what I've been through the 15 years in the program, my own, my, my own, my own, my own struggles, my own relapses in, 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 in the addiction with this, with this, <laughs> with this addiction. So my question is like this, when, do, and, and also I'm, I'm also starting to cry together with a, with a person that is on the phone. I have to stop driving sometimes. It's taking me over my, my own pain. So basically I, I, it's, I'm feeling their pain, my pain. So my question is, when do I, when do I, so I can't go on like this because I'm it's really taking me over and I could crown hours. So when do I stop? When, should I stop or should I continue doing? What's healthy and what's not healthy? What's healthy and what's not healthy? Thank you. Tomorrow night, I'm beginning with two people who are not my sponsees. Yes, I heard a talk one of them gave. And that damn word pain kept coming up. And I know I contacted them. I said, you, do you want to start getting rid of this pain? Yankee, I'm telling you, it, it's very difficult to say this. But I'm a person whose mother stabbed him with a collar knife, a bread knife, when I was 11, I mean, when I was about 14. Pain is not real. I hate to disappoint you. Pain is a reaction to a memory that hasn't happened in ages. Now, do I have compassion and cry when people share with me? Yes, that's compassion. But pain? Do you know how many times I hear that word, especially from certain communities? It's a very cultural word. I have pain over this, I have pain over that. Um, we hear it in the book in a constructive way. In the AA book, we hear if we are pain taking, we will know a new freedom and a new happiness. It's related to with pain, there's gain. But you keep laying in that pain, it will pull you in. Now, did I ignore the pain? No. I went to codependency treatment. I went for therapy for two years. Let them deal with what I call cellular pain. Okay? It's in me as cellular memories. But that's a separate vision. If I want to work on that kind of thing. But in our program, we're dealing with a very beautiful word, forgiveness. If people 
my wife has been able to forgive me. Who the hell am I to not forgive others who happen to be as sick as I was? So I'm not a good one to talk about pain. I'm going to tell you, get over it or you have problems. You could use different methods to get over it. But if you keep sitting in that pain, that's not real anyway. Nothing that happened prior to a millisecond ago is real anymore. The future isn't real and the past isn't real. All that's real is our breathless moment in the moment. Now, what is everything else? It's my perception. It's how I'm letting myself see or hear or feel. So you get two people, and I'll give you the story over and over. I tell it. Sandy Beach gives the story in AA. He said, <clears throat> I was sharing with my sister all this pain my parents gave me, and I told her this event that happened. It was so painful. She looked at him. She said, what are you talking about? It never even happened that way. But it was real to him. <laughs> now, therapists make good bucks out of trying to help you with past issues. And I'm not putting it down. All I can tell you from my experience, it didn't work to talk about it. I had to go for codependency treatment where I vomited it out, I screamed it out, I yelled it out. But talking about it only makes it more real when it's not real. I had one small question actually, Harvey, um, about the whole spiritual experience that you were writing about in, in, in the article. Um, I'm still, finding it hard like how i'm finding it hard to experience the spiritual experience as it's happening and i know that afterwards very often my experience is that i know that i had a spiritual experience the day before because i wake up with what i call a spiritual hangover but it's obviously it's probably the opposite it's this, it's this like fire in my soul in the morning but um i guess is that you know like does that change over time? Will I become more connected to the spiritual experience as it's happening? Or is it always just something that I'll know about afterwards? Does a fish know they're in water? According to step two, the way I learned it, they spend their entire lives looking for the water. Does my fingers know they're part of my hand? We are our spiritual experiences. So 
when I refer to them, I'm usually referring to not the always the experience itself, because that shows up in a personality change that's hard for me to see sometimes. Easier for my wife, maybe, but not for me. But um, what I refer to as spiritual awakenings is I get to see something I haven't seen before. I was in a deep slumber, and all of a sudden, I, uh, a few years ago, we were up in the Rocky Mountains, in the same town we've always been since the late 70s, and there in the middle of the sidewalk was this massive rock. I had walked by that thing for years, never saw it. All of a sudden, I saw it. <laughs> it was a spiritual awakening. What part of it was the awakening? The awakening was, Harvey, just imagine all the things you're not seeing. There's so much out there. And you're probably missing it. That's okay. But I was able to see my universe get larger. Now, I have had a few of those body-shaking ones. Uh, but if I'm not careful, I'll intellectualize them away. I'll try to get them in my mind where the disease lives. This sounds so much gobbledygook, what I'm saying. Sounds, you know. It sounds like the circuitous reasoning we do about God, you know. Well, how do we know there's a God because he created us? <laughs> how do we know he created us? Because we're here. It's, it goes in a circle. When I talk about spiritual awakeness, I'll end up going in the same circle because uh, my awakening is knowing I'm not me. I can't describe it. I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. And I get experiences where I can actually experience the nothingness that I am. Okay. And these help me a great deal. Because, as you know, I don't prepare for them. And then when I get off of them, or I read these articles that I had written, I'm saying, where the hell is this coming from? How is this happening? Then I get a little glimpse that it's not me that's doing it. There's a part in me 
or me, or how I don't want to confuse you, that was there when I was born. Okay? As my body gets bigger, didn't get big enough, but as it got bigger, that doesn't grow bigger inside of me. It's the same piece, same thing, same entity. It's always been there. Be there till I die. It needs my body to be there. And the more I stop my thinking of I know this, I know that, I got to understand this, I got to understand that, the more I could experience that nothing. That I call it nothing because I can't describe it. Same thing about God. N-O hyphen T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. Once we start making God a something, wars begin. My God is bigger than your God. My God's the true God. Your God's not good. Your God doesn't, is a jealous God. Your God is an angry God. My God has this name. Your God has that name. No, it's all the intellect. So it's much easier for me to call it N-O hyphen T-H-I-N-G. Something beyond description which is the same thing inside me, which I call God, that I am made of God. I am not God. I'm just made of God. And you're made of God. And it's all a lot of bull crap. I don't know what I'm talking about. It just comes out. What can I tell you? Enough. <laughs> had a mini spiritual experience from that though because you remind my soul was reminded of the nothingness and it had a glimpse of that escaping from into the now from from the real now into the real now from from the fake now into the real now and that's that glimpse of the spiritual experience so thank you and if you all ever want to make a next series i'd invite malcolm to give a series on some of the stuff that he's developed. Talking about you, Malcolm, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. It's all good. Okay. What we're referring to for you all was on the marathon. We were gifted to hear Malcolm give a talk on meditation. And that would be a real cool series to have. Yep, on the 11th step. Okay, one more question, then let's call it a day. Hi, I'm calling from Australia. Can I talk? Absolutely. God bless you, Harvey. Okay, first of all, I'm really grateful to be here. It's... Um, I heard so much about you, positive and negative. I'm an honest person. I'm not going to lie to your face. And one of the things I'm struggling, I have many sponsees, 
which is taking such a long time of my time every day. And one of the biggest thing is like the old runner in SA, they're telling me, you need to just refer them to toolbox of SA. But one of two of these guys are really, really, truly, in my opinion, they need to go to the doctor and get some tablets for their behaviors because they are, I'm not a professional, but this is what I'm seeing. And the other part of the problem I'm facing with them is they are single, they are under 30, and we get more and more in Australia under 30 to come into SA, a huge amount of under 30 and single. How can I help them? Thank you. Australia is not easy. It's had a tough time for almost 30 years. So how can you help them the most by giving them one of the things that Australia has a tough time getting? Long, long-term sobriety. So all you have to do is take care of yourself and be sure you're becoming lust-free as close as you can. They'll get it when they're ready to get it. I love Australia, and we spent a month there between Australia and New Zealand, and just wonderful people, good people. But there were certain things to this day I still can't fathom. We would go to some meetings where the it was so secret the doors were locked when the meeting began. And it has a still, I, I don't know, still it's been uh, probably five, six years since I was there last. Um, but it, it, the more you get a core, of longer-term sobriety. Now, what includes longer-term sobriety? Being sure you're not being judgmental about those guys under 30. That's going to really affect your sobriety. We gave, just yesterday, my sponsees, we have a meeting once a week on Zoom, and the topic was on judgmentalism. Those guys are so valuable to you because they're letting you have a meeting. Without them, there'd be no one else in the room. So, <laughs> so as you show them your love and appreciation for just showing up, then that awakening inside of us starts happening more and more because I'm very judgmental and I need to constantly surrender it. My essay uh, 
sponsored Jess years and years ago had a judgmentalism sobriety so your question is how can you give love to these younger guys I would assume you're married you married Amon yeah, yes I am married and the problem I give love but some of the old runner, 10, 15 years old, they, they put, they're trying to push definition in their face. And I'm saying, no, let's give them love. I, I'm 100% behind that definition. But let's give them love to bring them in, not to push the definition in their mouth, and then they're going to run away. This is my opinion. It's not the SA opinion. Um, yeah, but that's the group conscience, and you do the best you can. And on a one-on-one, -on -one, you could give them the love. But don't forget, tradition one is unity. So a meeting needs not to have argumentative stuff going on. If it ever does, you're better off starting another meeting at another time of the week than competing and still going to that meeting. This Australia could use all the people that Combis. It, it's hard for them to build up. Maybe it's changed and I'm being judgmental from things from five years ago. <laughs> and by the way, I'm very glad you didn't tell me the negatives that people have for me, what they've said. Because I tell people when they're coming up to me, and over the years it's been so often, telling me all my character defects and how they hate me and how this and that over the years never ends. And over the years I've learned when someone comes to make an amend to me, I say, the minute they say, I need to make an amend, I say, I forgive you for whatever it is, but don't tell me, just tell your sponsor, because I'm a human being, and if you tell me, no matter how I try, I'm going to cop a resentment against you. Over the years, that's what I've learned to do because of this thing we have in life called transference. That people take people who are just other drunks, but they put them in their mind in authoritarian positions and then transfer all the angers and feelings they've had about other people in authoritarian positions onto that person. Now, why am I an expert on this subject? Yes, I did it to Roy, <laughs> to the founder of the fellowship. I had transference towards him. Took me years to realize it and to make amends as best I could. And that's why no matter what, you will never hear me historically say 
anything negative about our founder because my true amend is for all the trouble I gave him is not only never to say a negative about him, but never think a negative about him. That's my true amend. And so I'm glad it worked out just fine. <laughs> you never know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.